In honor of my dad's 80th birthday, I wanted to re-release my very first episode of Irish Mike's podcast, where I interview and discuss the Chippewa Indians with James Lovell. We talk about the Turtle Mountain Tribe, the Turtle Mountain Indian Reservation, and why U.S. Highway 2 from Belcourt, North Dakota to Seattle is sometimes referred to as the Turtle Mountain Highway after so many Chippewa or Ojibwe American Indians stopped off to build families, towns, communities, and build their lives. Enjoy. I wanted to capture some stuff. You know, I spent some time with my dad and, you know, he was just still touched as can be with the, um, uh, you know, the, the drum and the experience yeah. there uh, near Christmas time. And uh, in fact, his brother um, who lives over in Benton city uh, near the tri cities came over just the other day, I guess, and visited. And he was just, he almost, you know, ripped it off. He was so excited because um, I think I'm supposed to officially connect you or, or at least uh, see what it would cost to have you do something similar for my brother, you and your mom and family, if you're interested. Uh, not my brother, my dad's brother. Yeah, your uncle. Yeah. So this is Uncle Kurt, who um, he's my dad's um, half brother from, you know, from the family that raised him, his mother. And that's the Smiths. That's the Smiths, not the Allerys. Not the Allerys, which is yeah. your dad's, your dad's bio dad. Uh, not my dad's bio dad, my dad's bio mom and um, the other one. Wait, so who's your dad's bio dad? G, uh, Leo Allery. He's Allery. Okay. So yeah. the Smith is, is his, is his adopted dad. Right. Okay. And that's who married his mom, your grandma. Right. Uh, and she has, and Mr. Smith has a, a son out in Benton city or is it his mom? Yeah. So, so Patrick yeah. Joseph Smith and Irene, Smith, mm-hmm. Medved Smith, my grandmother, my mom's mm-hmm. child mom had my, well, they didn't have my dad. We now know. Uh, and then she had three kids with Patrick, um, in, you know, in the fifties and whatever. Um, and so my dad, who he thought was just his full, you know, brother and two sisters mm-hmm. you know, we discover is really half, but, um, but Patrick Joseph Smith, which, which I've always called my grandfather, even though he was deceased before I was born, who I thought mm-hmm. was, you know, full grandfather. Um, he, um, he's also a member of the tribe. And so yeah. that kind of is more clear and yet muddy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, we've talked about this a little bit here and there. It's not all that unusual to have that kind of a background with any native folks, but I think especially so far, that's a lot of what I've experienced with total mountain folks too. Well, and I know some of these questions that I teed up for you, and I'm sorry for it being a little bit late. Um, no, that's I okay. To late. Um, they'll sound repetitive, but it's because I, I do want to record this uh, again with your permission, and I want to share it with some of my family members, um, if that's okay. It does not have to be terrible for, terribly formal. I'll make yeah. it sound sort of formal, but you know, you'll you sound you know you're formal yet very conversational, right? And I'm just hoping to capture a little bit of this so I can, you know, exchange it with them and share it with them uh, in our attempts to to kind of connect uh, deeper on the Smith side, uh, but also on the Allery side. And mm-hmm. so there's no pressure here. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. fact check. It's just more mm-hmm. about the general stuff as we have gone on this journey, you know, sort of with you a little bit um, to to help us understand, you know, um, part of our heritage and and I'll, and then what, you know, sort of what it means going forward. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the spirit behind it, if you're okay with yeah. that. Yeah, totally. Okay. 
Yeah, and recording is fine. I've got the questions pulled up on my phone. So if I'm looking down, it's because I'm looking at them there. No problem. It's the, the audio is probably going to be even, well, not in this case, because you obviously have the uh, Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa, uh, you know, um, banner, I guess, or flag uh, behind you and some Ojibwe art, which we'll get into in a sec. So can we can we kick yeah. off? Yeah, you can hit um, record. Yeah, sweet. Um, so so I'm, I'm chatting with James uh, Lovell, not the astronaut. Um, he uh, has become a friend um, and uh, met him at an event, uh, I guess it would have been two springs ago, um, uh, working with in, co in conjunction with New Horizons, um, uh, essentially a homeless you know, ministry, nonprofit, whatever, uh, in downtown Seattle. And lo and behold, uh, this good looking guy gets up and does the invocation um, and honors um, the American Indians uh, from the uh, Salish tribe and some of the other surrounding communities. Um, and I was touched by it, uh, but what caught my attention uh, was he had said that he was a member of the Ojibwe or Chippewa tribe, Turtle Mountain Band in particular. So I went and introduced him, uh, myself to him afterwards and um, Irish Mike um, we got a chance to connect with somebody that uh, um, shares a, a similar heritage and uh, we've uh, been talking ever since and um, culminating, uh, hopefully not maybe culminating, but significant event this past Christmas time uh, where uh, we were able to work with your family to get some uh, tribal art uh, put on. Um, and if I'm, you can correct me, James, in a minute. Uh, on a buffalo drum and, and a, even a uh, kind of a spiritual presentation um, on what was once uh, tribal land in the Snoqualmie, uh, res not the reservation, but Snoqualmie tribal land. Um, and even with the blessing of the chief of the Snoqualmie tribe's son, um, on our little farm in Carnation, Washington, we were able to have uh, was probably was the, the most significant gift that um, my family, my, you know, my sister and I and our, my kids uh, ever had a chance to present to our father, who uh, is a minimum, we think, 25% um, Chippewa, uh, possibly as much as as 50%. Uh, still some math to do, <laughs> uh, especially after my discussion with him on the road in Montana. Mm -hmm. There's my intro. Uh, well, one, one, one correction on that. Yeah, please. Uh, the event, when I was, I was recognizing Coast Salish, not Salish, Coast Salish tribes, uh, all the tribes out here are generally considered part of the Coast Salish group. Uh, the Salish tribe, Salish Kootenai, uh, Ponderay are all out in Flathead, Montana. Um, there's an actual tribal group. So I was not, I was not at some event in Flathead. I wish I was. It's beautiful out there. Coast Salish. Coast, Coast Salish. Yep. So, so the Duwamish and yep. which we've heard of and um, probably many of Puyallup even, yep. and some of the other ones, Muckleshoot. Is that yep. true? Is that yeah, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Duwamish, uh, Tehlelup, Suquamish, Snohomish, Kakomish, the whole, everything, Snohomi, um, everything that's kind of, I think it stretches up into Southern um, BC even and all that. So. And does it go down into Oregon? I don't know how far down it goes, it, you know, like technically, I don't know if it crosses the river or not, the Columbia, but I know Nisqually, I think, qualify as well they speak a different slightly different language there's la shoot seed and whole shoot seed and some other ones but we, there's a that's someone else's uh yeah, territory i don't know enough about it to speak intelligently about it i, I appreciate you clarifying that yeah. um 
So, so James, tell me a little bit about your um, Native American um, experience, your heritage, your family, mm -hmm. things like that. Well, I'm Turtle Mountain. That's where I'm enrolled. Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. You can see the, you know, flags up there, and that's what's that's the full tribal name on our ID. There's a whole. I mean, you could probably do an hour just talking about what our why it's Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians as our official tribal name, um, and how how that is the same thing as Ojibwe and different, but, uh, you know, genetic or not genetically, but family tree wise for me, genetically, uh, the connection is my dad's, my dad's a, a lovely white guy who is not connected with the tribe other than he has uh, ex-wife and kids who are from Turtle Mountain. <clears throat> but my mom is um, Turtle Mountain and both of her parents were uh, also born and raised out in Belcourt. So she's half and that comes Sometimes you can be half because you have one parent who's full blood, one parent who's half. She's half because she has two parents who were listed as half. They both had two parents. So that's four great grandparents for me who were, I think, all listed as half or mixed, um, which is a really common thing for our people. The, the mixing goes back generations and generations. I mean, it goes back hundreds of years that, that our people were mixed with a lot of French and then Scots-Irish. So... <clears throat> When you see, especially all the names from our reservation, a lot of them are very much French names. So my mom's side, she's a fiddler. And fiddler is not as big of a name back in Turtle Mountain. It's a little bit bigger of a name just north in um, Manitoba. Um, and it's like a sum in Saskatchewan, but it's more of more the Canadian Ojibwe um, side. But that's, that stuff was all imposed fairly recently. All those borders came up you know, relatively recently. So there's some fiddlers um, back in Turtle Mountain. Um, my, my grandpa's parents, one was an Azure, uh, and then his dad was a fiddler. And then my mom's parents, one is a La Framboy, uh, which is the French word for raspberry. Of course, the French say it differently, but everyone back there says La Framboy. Uh, and then her um, mom was a Davis. So, um, and then going back, we have lots of the other tribal lots of the names that are really common in the turtle mountain area um those are all mixed in with everyone's family trees um so there's some there's some alleries here and there um there's a number of other ones uh bursier berger Belgard, a lot of those are back there if you if you pick up i think you said you had a copy of the saint Anne centennial you can look through that book and see all the names or you've seen it before it's there's they're all there's a ton of them that are you'll realize pretty quickly there's really only you know a couple dozen really common last names that get repeated over and over um up until things started to open up a little bit for the tribe when they were forced off in the 50s um so yeah i'm i'm registered as one quarter it's actually on my id which is sadly i somehow put it in the wash and it got snapped and i'm in the middle of applying for a new one which includes uh um notarized letter and all that stuff if you want to get it but you can see it's it lists your percentage down here in oh, the sure. bottom so you get you get marked from birth <laughs> with what your percentage is um and i'm the minimum enrollable amount so if you're under 25 percent uh and and all you have is turtle mountain blood then uh you cannot be enrolled if you're say say my kids they're one eighth not one quarter if they got married to someone who was, um, what would that have to be? I guess uh, three eighths. Then 
altogether, their kids, my grandkids, could end up being a quarter again. Oh. And even, even if they're not, even if that person's not Turtle Mountain, if they married someone who was three eighths or or half Lakota or anything they wanted, um, they could still get enrolled in Turtle Mountain. So Turtle Mountain requires twenty five percent, and it it has to include some Turtle Mountain blood, but it does not have to be exclusively Turtle Mountain blood. Got it. Um, so that's something you could also find out about your family's yeah. history is if, okay, maybe your dad has this, but maybe somewhere else, you know, that there's another eighth of something that's floating around in you, um, that could, that could bring you up to 25% for, uh, enrollment purposes. And I'll, uh, let me jump in on that. Yeah. Um, I know that, uh, my mother's side does not have, um, it's pretty clear, a uh, line from, uh, <laughs> the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Um, but uh, let me, I'm going to jump down on one of my questions, um, a couple of things. One is how how do you prove um, sort of American Indian, Native American bloodlines? Um, you had told me a story, and it sounds like it's consistent among uh, many reservations in different parts of the country uh, about records being lost. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that and why and how somebody could go about, you know, sort of pursuing this if they wanted to. Well, records, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty... It's multifaceted the way someone would no longer be listed or enrolled. Um, uh, so records, first off, records are just lost over time, um, especially when you go from a group that you have to convert into a new writing system, a new language system. And so the the names and the affiliations of folks change whenever you start changing last names and changing spellings, then you can't prove lineage or parentage because something's there's there's a, a link in the chain that's missing. Um, for a lot of folks also, a part of it was, you know, it, it's not, I think maybe now it's fine to be listed as enrolled or um, to be native, but it's not always been the goal, right? The goal was to, to get as close to whiteness as you could um, without losing who you are. And so a lot of folks would intentionally list their blood quantum as lower or the BIA or CIA or whoever, I guess it was BIA, um, would list folks as being lower. Because if you, if someone is actually, is, is a half native and the BIA lists them as one quarter, then they just save themselves a whole generation of having to take care of that person. In their mind, they think they're taking care of folks. In reality, it hasn't always been that great of a caretaking relationship. Um, so if, if, um, one of my grandparents say was, was full blood, uh, if they were, then someone writes down what their blood quantum is and they get listed as half, then that means that less of that blood gets passed theoretically, right? And this is all, yeah. this is all you know, made up over the last hundred and some years. This wasn't at all the way that anyone in our family would have tracked anything. Um, so I, I, don't, I, I do have this document. It shows that I'm 25% or one quarter. Um, and it does have legal ramifications for my kids that they're not able to be enrolled. But it'll never change. It doesn't change in our family what their status is, because in our family, they're still my kids. They're still my mom's grandkids. And those are the relationships. That's kind of how it really passes is not. So, so legally, yes, you have to be enrolled. So blood quantum is, is a big, complex thing. And because it's the thing that's used, that's what they use. That's, that's what um, ends up making it onto paperwork. Otherwise, you have to trace lineage. And there's lots of gaps in lineage that make some problems there, too. Um, yeah. And I, I think for some tribes, you know, it's very, 
uh, there are a lot of folks who, who want to be listed as in that tribe because there are benefits. Some some tribes have casinos that pay out per capita and those are seen as benefits. Um, our tribe uh, has a casino and it, it I think it manages to cover most of its own costs, but we don't really see any payments out of that. So it's not, it's not like being enrolled in Turtle Mountain gets you that kind of immediate monthly check or something. Um, there are some benefits that you can access though. Um, was that kind of what you were yeah, aiming yeah, at? That, that's good. Just kind of expanding on it just a little bit. Um, uh, and I like what you had said there. You had said something that, you know, for the sake of sort of legality and whatnot, yeah, that, that having the ID card and the blood quantum listed is important, but it certainly doesn't change, you know, sort of how your family dynamic works. Yeah. You know, and maybe you and your and your mother and different family members are, pa- I'm assuming, are passing down, you know, some of either the traditions, language, artwork, as we again, we'll ch- chat about, but um, that that's the most important thing. Yep. And that's, that's why it's, that's one of the things that makes it difficult when you put in a system that is not one that um, people have used historically, it can be very difficult. Uh, because it definitely feels like a foreign system, right? And, and it also makes it seem as though these there are some hard and fast rules or some kind of scientific method for determining yeah. identity, which is really challenging because, you know, anyone, you, you go back, you say, oh, he is, he is precisely 25% uh, Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. It's like, okay, that's great. And if you go back to 18, whatever, 50, 1860 something, uh, and you said he is 25% of Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians, they would have said, that's, there's no such thing. There is no Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. People are Pembina. So that's actually our historical band is not the Turtle Mountain Band. It's the Pembina Band, or at least my family. Um, Turtle Mountain Band has folks who are listed as Pembina and folks who came from other Ojibwe tribes and some folks who came from, from Canada where they would have been listed on, on a different you know nation of some kind. But um, our family comes from the Pembina band which is Pembina's kind of right now there's actually a city named Pembina it's basically at the very top of North Dakota and where North Dakota and Minnesota meet and Canada's on top that's where Pembina is and that's more or less where our part of Turtle Mountain um, my family's part originated from is that part of the, the Pembina band and the Pembina area that's the Red River um valley there in northern north dakota minnesota southern canada and that group the pembina band got um split and disbanded and split into multiple groups so the pembina Pembina band is gone there are no there is no legal um group that's called the pembina band of chippewa indians the members got moved to a few different reservations uh, we got moved to uh, well, Turtle Mountain has a bunch, White Earth has a bunch, and there's another one. It might be Red Lake. There's another. Um, uh, I, that's that's something we can fact check later. But we're, we are considered the successor bands to the Pembina band. Um, in that, but but not everyone in White Earth is Pembina. Not everyone at Red Lake or God, I shouldn't be saying that without knowing whether it's actually Red Lake or not. <laughs> not everyone, like not everyone at Turtle Mountain is from Pembina band. Um, so it's, it is really complex. And so that's why this idea of saying that you're 25% of, um, Turtle Mountain kind of doesn't make, it, it doesn't like, that's not even a thing going back 200 years. It doesn't capture the, really the full truth, the full story. Exactly. Some, and so the, the, the descendancy is much more important in that. Yeah. yeah. 
So, um, um, how, oh, actually, well, here, here's a list. So, yeah, go ahead. So it is, it's a White Earth, Turtle Mountain, and Red River are the, um, are the ones in the U.S. In Manitoba, it's the Roseau River, uh, Anishinaabe First Nation. And then there's two other tribes out in Montana that are both Pembina Band. Um, but that, that comes further down. Um, and that, that's actually part of it is, so you imagine you, someone says, oh, I'm 25% Turtle Mountain. It's like, okay, that means you have this one reservation that you can be enrolled at. It's like, yeah, except if you're enrolled in Turtle Mountain, you can also be enrolled in the Little Shell Tribe in Montana, in Great Falls, Montana, that just got recognized in 2019, December 2019. Um, so that's that's kind of that story of, um, you know, a land you know, the, the land theft and genocide and things that created, a, you know, a dramatically shifting geographical narrative. Turtle Mountain is a place. There is a, there's a small, what we call hills out here. There's a mountain range out there called the Turtle Mountains. Um, that's where this part of the Pembina or part of the Pembina group got moved to. Some of those folks got pushed further west. And so you keep going west and you run into our folks. This is later on, you've got this in there, kind of talked about this Turtle Mountain Highway, as I call it. I don't know if anyone else on the planet calls it that. I call it that because it fits my lived experience. Um, but that's that's one of the things with the blood quantum that's always funky is you say, well, if it's really this thing, if this is really so scientific that it's 25%, one, one quarter of a portion attached to this thing on this legal document, then you go back a certain amount of time and that you realize the whole thing was made up and it's all based on marriage. And, and it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like anyone could prove um without like genetic testing that my family was exclusively uh ojibwe and it's and you wouldn't expect that of any group you you go back and you say oh gee i thought you know great 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 grandpa was full irish and you find out great 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 grandpa was also part welsh and you know no one would would look back on that and say well therefore you are not irish right but that's that's kind of the situation is it's actually kind of high stakes because if you're if you disprove part of your lineage, you end up disproving your percentage, um, which has happened from time to time with folks in Turtle Mountain. Folks get folks decide they want to disenroll people, and they start looking back on people's birth certificates and saying, "Oh, you've got he's li- here. He's listed as a quarter, but on this other document, he's only listed as an eighth. And and that's not not happened to me, but you know, people do this to each other in different tribes. They try to limit enrollment as much as they can because they think there's going to be some payout to um, enrolled members. So the percentages go up if the population, the numbers go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understood. Um, what is it about your, um, well, it, just tell me before we do that for the sake of this, is tell me about um, Ojibwe versus Chippewa and what so, some sort of the understanding is there. And then, you know, big, sort of big, big picture, Canada, Montana, Minnesota, North Dakota, I think you said it even came over all the way from the Northeast. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the largest kind of grouping that we would fit into would be part of the Algonquin language group. Um, and that's a, that's a word that a lot of folks know. And I think that includes um, folks from the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois Confederacy. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, it's, it's a huge language group. Um, the largest, I think, category of those folks are the ones that we use, uh, which is the Anishinaabe. And so there's a lot, there's 
most of Anishinaabe is, is folks who like like me who think of ourselves as Ojibwe. Um, but it also includes the Ottawa and maybe the Sauk or the Potawatomi. Um, some other tribes also call themselves Anishinaabe. And it's, you know, it's 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 there's a whole translation of Anishinaabe. Um, and it, you know, it really is kind of like an autonym, right? A name you call yourselves. So within, so Algonquin is a whole language group and there's lots of different stuff. And the Anishinaabe started, uh, um, there are lots of different, you can look up different stories and, you know, I won't, we won't do like traditional storytelling right here, but those stories do give some clues as to, you know, where, where we believe we came from. So we believe we came more or less from the Atlantic seaboard and moved West um, probably 600 years ago now. Um, it's the numbers are the calendars are different, so it's kind of hard to track them. Um, but these days, if you look at where our group of Anishinaabe are, the Ojibwe, it's it's the largest group of Anishinaabe, maybe the largest group of of Algonquin speaking peoples, um, and it covers Great Lakes, most of the kind of northern part of the Great Lakes, um, as well as it's I think the largest. You know, if you go to Wisconsin or Minnesota. And you tell people, you say, "Have you ever heard of the Chippewa?" They would they would laugh in your face because they'd say, "Are you kidding? They're all over the place." Mm -hmm. So those two states at least have tons and tons of um, they have lots of reservations, lots of lots of Ojibwe people. And what I have heard, and I, and every time I've looked it up, I haven't found anything to disprove it, is that our word Ojibwe, um, like in Canada, a lot of folks call themselves Ojibwa, and there's lots of folks at Turtle Mountain who call themselves Ojibwa too. It's it's really, you know, there's uh regional differences in saying the same thing right that's that would be true of any language right. um so if you take ojibwa and you remove the o because it sounds like someone's like you know o shanahan or tom o'clancy or what i don't know whatever <laughs> i'm insulting your people your other side of your people now um it would sound like you're saying ojibwa which is chippewa right it's just just like a cognate so Ojibwe and Ojibwa are the same thing. And you can see how someone would, would, would hear Ojibwa and take off the O and just put it as Chippewa. Um, so that's what I've heard. And I think most, most of what I've seen, nothing has disproven that that is a fairly good understanding of why it came to be. And really, so on this side of the border, everyone is called Chippewa. And north of the border, I think everyone is called Ojibwe or Ojibwa, so north of Canada. Um, and so uh, if you go to, we're the only Chippewa tribe in um, North Dakota, but if you go into Minnesota, there's, there's the Minnesota Chippewa tribes. I, th I can't, I think it's most of the, most of the Chippewa reservations in Minnesota are organized under a, a larger um, structure. Mm. Um, I think there are some that are independent. I'm not sure about Wisconsin. I don't know there. I, I haven't been out to Wisconsin's tribal areas, but I have been for Minnesota. Um, everything's a little different in Canada. Everything, everyone's organized as reserves, and it's a the First Nations process is different than the tribal and reservation process down here. But um, so that's more or less where that comes from. So that yeah. so it lives as you know, it's it it's not our word for ourselves, but uh, like the word Sioux is not the word for for those folks that that tribe. Um, S i o u x is the word that. They call themselves something different. Um, same thing out here. Um, all the tribes would call themselves something. It would sound different at the very least. Um, and, and so I think that's 
anglicized yeah. to some level. Anglicized, um, simplified, uh, or, or the game of telephone, right? You right, know, one, right. one scribe hears it one way, writes it something, someone else sees it, doesn't know that the O is connected to the Jibwe and decides it's just Jibwe or Jibwa. And before you know it, um, you've, you've got a, a spelling that's the accepted norm and that, that gets recorded on a document that relates to a lot of folks' yeah. citizenship. So, One of the things that, um, you know, and it's sort of my reading research, even media, um, you know, books, movies, you know, documentaries, who knows, you know, f sometimes truth from fiction. Uh, but one of the, one of the items that keeps uh, sort of surfacing is, is different tribes, you know, sort of were known for specific things like, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe like when I was driving through Montana, you know, we were um, between Missoula and Helena is this old highway. And we went along the little Blackfoot river, right. Mm -hmm. So the Blackfeet were a specific tribe in Montana. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what they were known for, but um, what, is that, I mean, I don't even know if it's fair to say that, but what, if you had to answer, what would the Chippewa sort of be known for historically? Um, I, I'm saddened to ask that question because I know so yeah. much of, of that identity probably has been muddled or forced down or, com, you know, compressed or, or you know, whatever. Um, but what would so, be some of the legacy there? Well, I mean, the, the first, uh, well, I, I do have something specific that comes to mind, but there's a couple of things to, to layer for context, right? One is that we're talking about, um, when you think, sometimes out here in the Pacific Northwest, folks get an idea around what they think a tribe is because they're using mm -hmm. the experience they have where you've got um, a reservation yeah. that was maybe formed in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and you've got this great group of really, um, you know, of, of close connected families, folks who care about their tribe, fought hard for their recognition, and there's, you know, a thousand, two thousand of these folks enrolled in um, a reservation, and some of these reservations aren't aren't that big, right? They're they're as small as our reservation actually. Turtle Mountain's not that big either; it's six miles by twelve miles, um, and there's a little pockets of trust land and stuff like that. But you know, some of these reservations up here are even smaller. They're, they're listed on the acres um, as opposed to the miles and, you know, 1,000, 2,000 members um, and some smaller, some are in the low hundreds. Um, Turtle Mountain, we have 33,000 enrolled members, uh, 10,000 of whom are on the reservation. I think uh, La Cordere out in Wisconsin has 20 some, Millac has 20 some thousand, White Earth has got 18, 25,000. I don't know the exact numbers. If you look, I think in the US, there are 220,000 Ojibwe or Chippewa um, who, are, who are enrolled. These are folks who listed themselves on the census as being enrolled or registered. Wow. Um, and then you, that's not counting Canada, where there's a whole bunch of folks up there too. I mean, in Canada, there's generally not as many people, but just because Canada itself doesn't have that many people, but there's a lot of people. And so um, we're, we're a pretty big group to have like one thing we would be known for, right? So that's, I think one of the things is like, it, it's easier. It's sometimes people think of like for you or I growing up out here, we think of who are the Chippewa people we know, you can name them on a couple of hands or you know, maybe me a few more since I'm connected in. Um, but we're just as big geographically as probably any tribe you've heard of. So like the Diné or the Navajo um, or the Cherokee, 
those are names we hear a lot about, um, but but uh, you don't hear as much about Ojibwe or Chippewa. We're just as big. Like our, our region was huge, and there's hundreds of thousands of us. So one thing is, it, you know, it would be wrong to oversimplify and say all oh, Ojibwe did one thing. And I know you're not trying to push me into that. Another thing is, you know, is Turtle Mountain really known for anything specifically? Not not Turtle Mountain so much, as far as I know. Um, there are some individuals who have gotten some had some success or notoriety that came out of Turtle Mountain. Um, but if I was going to say the, the thing that stands out to me as being distinctly Ojibwe is wild rice. So that's a, you know, wild rice is a very specific, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty highly sought after in the health food world. Um, it's extraordinarily healthy, high fiber, high protein grain, and it's only grown uh, out near the Great Lakes. So it's, it's a full it's a full way of life for a lot of people. Um, and because it's something that's only grown in one area, um, you can say that, you know, there's probably other things we'd think of ourselves as being known for, but it'd be very difficult for another tribal group to say, oh, we are the wild rice people. Um, whereas it's pretty easy for us to say something like that. Um, but again, not so much Turtle Mountain. We don't really have a lot of the right climate or, or growing conditions for it, but a lot of folks in Minnesota, um, I think Minnesota may be the epicenter of wild rice. Um, I'm talking planet wide. That's where wow. wild rice comes from. So that's a pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, it's really cool. Actually, you mentioned some individual people, you know, behind you, you've got, um, again, this beautiful uh, sort of artwork, uh, yeah. tapestry flag. I'm not exactly sure what you call it. It's a flag. It is a flag. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, describe it. Um you know, to, to us, to me. Yeah. Uh, who, who's who? Cause there's a, there's a specific there's, there's person. A person yeah. We actually just did this last week with my son's um, uh, third grade class. We were talking a little bit, they, they've been studying some folks and whenever oh. that comes up, we try to bring our, our, our language or culture, our folks in. So um, first thing is the going back forever and forever, our tribe has always had a lot of, or our people, Ojibwe people, our art style, the most common art style is one that includes the floral stuff. So that's kind of maybe the, the forever kind of art style. The stuff here is a little bit more modern in the way it shows up now, but it's, it still it comes from the same tradition, but the floral is surrounds our flag on the outside. And there's um, part of our seven teachings um, so we call them the seven gifts from the seven grandfathers. And that's something that they're listed all over online. I'm not, I'm not giving away secret information without the secret handshake. Um, so the seal has feathers on the outside. <clears throat> um, we've got the, the four directions represented up in the compass. And there's the turtle in the middle. And the thing with the turtle is that it's actually a calendar. So a, a turtle shell has a certain number of squares on one side. And then, you know, each of these, uh, squares or whatever the shape. I mean, they're not perfect squares for sure, but you can, um, there's the turtle there. I have to look this way now, sorry. And then going down, we've got teepees, even though teepees, we're not, we're not associated as like the founder of the teepee, but we did use them a lot when we were moved from the Great Lakes to the Plains or when we, when we moved ourselves and blended in and um, met other cultures. There's a wagon here and that's called a Red River Wagon. And that's the kind of wagon that was used a lot um, out in our part of the 
country. And in the middle is, or the kind of dominant figure, well, there's these little mountains in the back. That's the Turtle Mountains. And then that's uh, Asiansi, who is Little Shell. So Little Shell is probably the best known of the uh, Turtle Mountain chiefs. And he's actually the one um, who he kept going west. And uh, he made it all the way out to at least Great Falls, Montana, um, which is where the Little Shell Band of Chippewa Indians is registered. Um, and then, but you can see all along the way, you can kind of see the path that he would have taken on his, as he was being, as, as the tribe was moving west, being forced west, is you go to, you start at Turtle Mountain, well, you start at Pembina, and you go and you see like the whole top half of North Dakota used to belong, was, was part of our original allotment of land. Um, then that got cut up and divvied up, and some folks got left with this little rectangle of Turtle Mountain up in the kind of central eastern part of North Dakota. Um, and some folks kept moving west. Uh, a bunch of them got out to Montana and made a new reservation with some other folks with the some the Cree tribe. So there's a, there's a reservation in Montana called the Rocky Boy Chippewa Cree tribe. Hmm. And so a lot of folks who are Rocky Boy are um, Pembina also. They're, they're Turtle Mountain, which is a blend of Pembina and other Ojibwe and, and Métis folks. Um, and then they're... Uh, kind of like it's a like that path you go back right so you say okay well rocky boys some folks there are are from you know total mountain which means they are pembina which means they're ojibwe which means they're anishinaabe which means they're Algonquin. you can kind of keep going up the tree um and it's not the only path up that tree but and then you keep going further west and you know folks kept moving west and getting forced west and so that's where little shell ended up um or his people at least ended up kind of settling um and and stayed to this day even though that started happening a couple 150 years ago wow well that's, good that's the flag oh yeah that's well, awesome but it's a good transition to your um what you like to call the turtle mountain highway take us past great falls um i just drove i-90 right uh, uh-huh. uh to helena well I did, garrison junction i think it's called a split off past missoula uh, but I've driven as far as Bozeman, so I haven't gotten mm-hmm. all the way, um, you know, across the uh, the Great Plains, as they say. But um, yeah, t- tell me, tell me what that means, and um, you know that sort of thing. I know, I know, you said it's not, you know, maybe it's only a phrase that you use, <laughs> but I think it's a great one. Yeah, well, and it fits well for me because you know I was I was born and raised out here in Seattle, and used to go back to Turtle Mountain every summer, um, and a couple other times outside of the summers, and I still go back. Um, but not every summer. And, um, and, and for me, it's always my, my, my association with the reservation has always been connected with a road trip in a way, because it's always driving out to it. You can't really fly out there all that easily, to be honest. You can go out to, you can fly to Minot, North Dakota, and then drive another hour and a half. Um, but there's no flights from Seattle to Minot. So you got to fly out to Minneapolis. You got to fly from Seattle to Minneapolis, Minneapolis, back to Minot, Minot, then you drive. So it's, I mean, it can, if you, if you catch the wrong layovers, it's a 24 hour trip. Um, and the drive out there is only 26 hours of, of pedal time if you follow the speed limit. So kind of like, you know, you may as well just hit the road and enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I grew up going back and forth from Turtle Mountain, from here to Turtle Mountain and back. So for me, it was always on the highway. So so part of it is just my my generation and my my own lived experience of I've always thought of Turtle Mountain and associating it with the highway. And that's not exactly by mistake or anything. It's not like I'm the only person who's ever 
driven out there. Lots of folks are out here from Turtle Mountain. There's there's the more historical picture of the westward expansion and you know manifest destiny and stuff that pushed native folks further west from their homeland. So the Trail of Tears down south and up here we've got a different experience or different titling for kind of the same experience of folks getting forced west. And so you you can kind of say, well, oh gee, the Ojibwe people, that's a Great Lakes tribe. What are you doing in North Dakota? Or that's a you know, well, it's a North Dakota tribe. What are you doing in Montana? That's a that's a Eastern Montana tribe. What are you doing in Great Falls? Um, you can keep going and you keep finding Ojibwe people along the way. So there is actually like now there's there's like a connect the dots reservation. And if you look at our trust land, um, if you look at a map from the census that shows the um, federal reservation land, you see these little dots going across the northern part of North Dakota and Montana um, that are um, there's a Turtle Mountain Reservation, and then going west, there's these little dots of trust land where they, you know, that's where, because that used to all be ours, and it just kept getting broken into smaller and smaller pieces. Um, let's see if I can find a link. It was the census, I think it was 2010 census that had this map, and if you scroll in on, on any of these little items in the PDF, you see all these little, like, you know, oh, look, it's a, a little patch of Turtle Mountain. Um, it's a U.S. census uh, tribal lands. If they, I'm sure if I can find it quickly, it'll be helpful. Um, but basically, oh, here's a good, nope, it's not going to pull up for me. Um, so basically, there's that's kind of the historical, you know, view that one can take with it is that this is this is actually um, a place where we've got this legal standing in some of these places, North Dakota, all the way over to Great Falls. Um, but also, if you look, you know, um, there's been lots of different approaches and attempts at, uh, people have called it a different thing, different things, you know, assimilation where you, you absorb folks. There's some really hard, hard stories that aren't mine always to tell about boarding schools and residential schools, um, about um, uh, sterilizations, forced sterilizations, things like that. And there's also stories that are a little bit, a little bit less dramatic, as not as dramatic as a, a straight up individual-based genocide or attack, but ones that are more large group. And so you take something. So in the '50s, they they had a policy that was this was the termination era, and they I think they called it the Indian Relocation Act. And basically, they gave all these folks these one-way tickets. Like we'll pay for you to move from Turtle Mountain out to the city somewhere. And, or from all these different reservations, from, from Browning, which is where the Blackfeet are, um, and all, all the reservations throughout the country, folks got relocated to some kind of key urban areas. So if a lot of folks from Turtle Mountain, you know, saw this as this, there's, here's my ticket. Um, I'm being forced to leave because they're, they're going to stop supporting me here and they're giving me this chance to get me started on my own feet in the city. So folks started going west. All along the way, folks are kind of, stopping along the way and um you know they for whatever reason they settle for a, a week or a month or a year and then they pick up and kind of keep heading west for different reasons um so my grandparents left mostly looking for work they weren't they weren't full-on straight up relocated through like the termination era stuff for theirs was more that my grandma 
had a retinitis pigmentosa. So she was almost, she was, she went blind early and my grandpa had spinal meningitis, which went through the reservation back in the twenties and a whole bunch of folks ended up with, if, if they survived, they had lifelong um, health conditions. So he had spinal meningitis as a baby and, and went deaf. And so he couldn't find work anywhere. And there was, there were no jobs available on the reservation for folks who, who were fully able-bodied and he couldn't. So they started moving West and he, they made it out to Montana and uh, that's where my mom was born, actually. So she was, even though she's, you know, her parents were both from Belcourt and Turtle Mountain. I, you know, she's from Belcourt, Turtle Mountain. I'm from Belcourt and Turtle Mountain, but neither she nor I were born out there. But we don't, I don't think of that as, um, you know, the, the, the move away from the reservation as opposed to these are the realities of that time period is either through, you know, a, a intentional efforts or unintentional or at least less more obfuscated efforts to disband, right? So if you get folks off the reservation, what happens is your lady that's your, your, your parents, your grandparents who are half each, you know, their, their kids are half and those kids go out to the city and who do they find is they find other folks in the city and they fall in love and they have kids. Uh, and so they, my, my mom met a guy who wasn't Turtle Mountain, who wasn't native at all. And so now her kids are less native by the ID card um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of, it's the Turtle Mountain Highway isn't always like, it's a little grim when you think about what the sure. results of it are, but it's also just a really basic human story of migration and immigration. Um, I mean, we would think of it, almost, you know, we would think of it as immigration because we went from one nation to another, we went from Turtle Mountain, from the Ojibwe nation out to where other nations were, um, even though it's all within the what's now the United States. And there's a lot of stories of our people going way back about our you know, trade routes and travel that go all the way out here and further north pre-Columbian era. Um, not, not like stories. I mean, these are, there's, you know, evidence of the trade, you know, and, and words, words that pass down through different languages that, you know, not enough to show that they're from the same language group, but enough to show that these uh, folks interacted. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, that's, you know, the Turtle Mountain Highway is, is my coin, my coinage of this term that shows for, I mean, it represents some of the historical truth of the, the pre-historical truth of we've, we've always been people who moved along anywhere we wanted. And this was one of those directions. The, the more, you know, a couple hundred years ago, histories of different reservations popping up along the way because of um, people being forced West and a more recent 60, 70 year history of the termination era policies to get folks off the reservations so that they assimilate. Um, and then eventually you'd end up with, without having to do any kind of raw butchery, you can actually get rid of having Indians because they've all bred ourselves out of, out of um, existence. And or, for lack of a better word, uh, get them off the payroll. Yep. And then, then you no longer have a, a government division that has to fund any of that. But, you know, more of it was also just about this desire to make everyone to, to get rid of anything that wasn't um, the norm. Sort of classic American sort of white centered, um, yep. you know, viewpoint of our history. Yep. Wow. That's unbelievable. I want to keep going on that, but just, to, but is it fair to say to wrap a ribbon around the Turtle Mountain Highway concept is whether it has some ugly past or even just people of the tent, you know, just in general on their own, their families moved to, for whatever reason. You're saying that US Highway 2, I 90, all these great towns between um, Fargo and uh, say roughly, and um, even Seattle, which is obviously where we're chatting today, mm -hmm. 
you, you'll find Chippewa up in. Oh yeah, all yeah, they're all over. Um, I mean, my mom was born in Glasgow, Montana. We've got cousins in Wolf Point, Montana. Obviously, you go to those reservations to Rocky Boys in Montana or to Great Falls, where the Little Shell is, and you're going to have you know the same names. You're going to have Allerys out there, um, and you're going to have Laframboises and Davises and stuff like that. Uh, there's you know, and then another thing is that when you're traveling on these roads as a native person in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, even now, we often stop by and visit folks. We visit other native folks where we, we look for respite in a safe place because those places have not always been safe to stop by if you're not of the right background. And so if I was on my way out here from Turtle Mountain, you know, I might stop either A, in a big city where at least I knew I could find some kind of accommodation or mechanic who could fix my radiator on the way out, or I would stop by a place that has a reservation so I can at least be around other native folks so that at least it wasn't, you know, if I was going to fail on this trip, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be there where I would fail. So you end up with Turtle Mountain folks who are wow. in big cities near other reservations. So like Billings probably has some, I don't, that's on I-90 and that's a little far South for most right. of where we went. And they've got big, they got Crow Agency and Northern Cheyenne over there, but like Spokane, um and um obviously great falls helena places like that they they all have turtle mountain folks who live there because along the way someone met someone someone stayed someone um you know got offered work for a couple days and it was better than the work they thought they were going to have two towns over but i've got we've there's a bunch of turtle mountain folks i know in spokane and they're more recent they're more like they've been out there the last 20 years but go back before that and there's there's folks who stopped by on the original trip out um and there's folks oh i think ellensburg had like i was looking at the census records and there were 25 or 28 people living within the city of ellensburg who were listed as chippewa or ojibwe which isn't a huge number i'm sure it's more than that but king county has 1500 ojibwe as of the 2010 census um which is not a huge number for the entire county, but when you think of it being a tribe that's way far out, yeah. But you can go to all these little towns that you can dig up census records and find not digging, there's all online for the sure. recent ones. You can find significant distribution of uh, Ojibwe folks and especially Turtle Mountain folks. Well, and what I uh, this is going to sound, you know, a little bit weird probably, but I mean, Chippewa, the, you know, the great. A great tribe that nobody's ever heard of, you know. Yeah. They're, you know <laughs> Best kept secret. Yeah, I mean they're everywhere, uh, <laughs> and there's lots of them, and they're obviously fantastic people. And obviously, uh, well, I mean they're good looking, as we know, <laughs> uh, you know. But at the end of the day, uh, they're everywhere. But you know, you don't see those in the the movies uh, per se, right? Um, uh, but anyway, that that's I love that part of the story. Again, even even a little bit of the ugliness. Um, it's not that I like that part, but nope. I mean the fact that it's that's happened. And now we have maybe a generation or two of children, grandchildren that are living, you know, down the road from us, you know, mm -hmm. in the greater Seattle area, or I grew up in Spokane, you know, and whatever, obviously yeah. I mentioned I traveled, you know, back and forth to Montana with a couple of kids in school there. So you know, I'm dr literally driving by, you know, people yeah. from, you know, the Turtle Mountain band, most likely. Mm -hmm. um, but for the sake of time, I want to ask you one more and then a uh, specific question about this. And then I want to ask a couple of fun questions that have nothing to do with that, if you're okay with it. 
Yeah, and I have I can go past six, but I know you probably have okay. to. You don't want to stay in your office all night long, I'm sure. Ah, uh, you know, it can. What, <laughs> it's all good. What's uh, your the first yeah. one? My my dad had mentioned as on this trip, um, and I think you'd explained it to me once, but I don't remember um, this idea of the mitis. Oh, or, yeah. To tell me what that is, he'll like to hear that. You know, is that like the 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 band within a band, or is it something different? Um, I don't know that band within a band is the right word. Um, Métis is how it's said. And it's an, it's a full on recognized ethnic group in Canada, I think. M-E-T-I-S, Métis. And it's a French word. And I'm pretty sure it just means mixed. Mm. And, um, so, um, there's, I mean, there's actually really significant history behind the Métis people as a somewhat collective group, but it's also, there's, there's, there's like the official Métis kind of stuff and that, that group in Canada that's recognized as such. And I think that, co- that covers a lot of geographic territory and it's kind of more broadly because, you know, French is still such a dominant language in Canada. Métis has a meaning beyond um, like an, just the ethnic group that shares that name for um so, but basically it's, it's, it's as close to a history of our people as anything else would be, which is, is a bunch of mixing, right? So there's a lot of total mountain folks going back, right? My family is a great example. Um, it, cause I'm, cause I'm not someone who's, I'm not a quarter, sorry, I'm a quarter from someone who's half. She's not half from a full blood and a white person. She's half from two mixed people. Okay. They're half from four mixed people. Like the mixed, the mixing with uh, French Canadian folks and French, you know, fur trappers, and that goes way, way, way back. Um, and when you think about these, you know, all this fur trapping that happened around the Great Lakes, I mean, that's where that's where a lot of us have some of our heritage. Um, and you know, of course, these folks, for the most part, wouldn't you wouldn't have stuck around with your if if you, there was a, a white parent and a and a native parent. You would have been raised by the native parent because the white parent wouldn't have brought you back to mom and dad in Boston and said, "Hey, look what I found. Um, it's my child. Let's love them." It would have been it would have been a, a shameful thing. And mostly, this was men, white men, and and native women because that's who was doing most of the fur trapping and kind of labor there. Although you know, as, as Canada progressed, it got to be I think a little bit more mixed. But for the most part, it's, it was white men. Um, and so you had a lot of folks who grew up mixed and having only ever spent time on the reservation. This is also pre-reservation times, like only ever spent time in a native community or native home. So they didn't really think of themselves as anything other. They knew they were mixed, but they weren't, they were culturally raised a certain way. So that's kind of a generic truth of probably all of Indian country across the entire continent, if not South America too. But the terminology Métis, right, has some stuff that should be, um, I should be careful because I don't, it's not an identity. I always, and we know that we're Métis in the broadest sense that we're mixed. Um, but there is also a, a specific, there was that actual political movement, the Métis rebellion, Louis Rial and the Métis rebellion was up in, in Southern Canada. And he was um, trying to create his own nation or defend his own nation. But in Turtle Mountain, there's also a very, uh, a kind of specific subgrouping of Métis, which is the Michif. I think I've always seen it spelled M-I-C-H-I-F, Michif. And that's, I think, as much as it's blended, it's a blend of Ojibwe. Um, it's, it's, I, it shows up mostly as language blend as opposed to 
cultural blend, mm-hmm. although it's kind of impossible to divorce the two and then no one should. Um, but Michif, I think if you, it probably the first result you'd find on a Google is that it would be listed as a language. And that's where you have all these words that sound um, that, that are super prevalent across Total Mountain. And you're like, boy, that just doesn't quite sound like an Ojibwe word or no other Ojibwe tribe, no other Chippewa tribe, or no other Anishinaabe, Anishinaabe person has a word that is a cognate or sounds like that. You'd be like, oh, this is a special blend of, of somewhat Pembina, but definitely Turtle Mountain, where there's a lot of that mixing um, linguistically. So it's, it's basically, it's, it's, I, there, there is some Cree that comes into that too, Cree language, and, and that, of course, comes from Cree people being involved, just like the French language comes from French people, and just like the Ojibwe language comes from visual people. So it's this blending of people, um, and that produces linguistic cultures. Um, so there's a lot of words, um, like the, uh, the biggest thing out there, I don't know if it's on other Ojibwe reservations, but I know for sure it's a Turtle Mountain thing, is for New Year's, everyone makes bangs and bullets. And so bangs is another word for fry bread and bullets is um, meatballs, right? So it's bangs is, is a kind of Ojibwe-ization of the French word for bread, right? <laughs> which would be pan. And then um, bullets is just boulet, which is like a ball, like you'd yeah. have a, a meatball soup. And so bangs and bullets is a classic Turtle Mountain dish. Wow. Um, and so when you look at it, you're just like, that's such a, well, tell me more. I thought that was just fry bread and meatballs. <clears throat> so bangs and bullets would be, you know, a, a, actually it's, maybe it's an anglicization of a French uh, yeah. words that are an Ojibwe custom now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that, that's true Métis, true Michif oh. is that it's blended. And there's, there's all these other words throughout. Um, like if you go and you try to study an Ojibwe language thing, like a course, you know, in universe in, in Minneapolis or something like that. And you, you show up with all your turtle mountain language that you grew up with. You're going to find some folks disagreeing with your application of certain terms or your, or your, your inclusion of certain terms as, as Ojibwe language. Um, there's another, there's, there's, it, there's examples left and right. It was going to say, it's, it reminds me of, you know, being in Italy and some, everybody has a, a different interpretation of what a bolognese should be right well my grandmother never made it like that you know yeah whatever. yeah you know and it's all basically the same ingredients but just slightly different enough to say well yours isn't authentic <laughs> well and then in this one you've you've i mean there's also the fun there's well and this is this is i guess something i have to do every time i hear a turtle mountain person introduce a word to me that's ojibwe i have to start stop and do a little bit of a I do like a French check in my head to see if it's like, let me just, let me just double check this and see if there's a French word, if there's a cognate, something that sounds really similar. Cause if there is, I'm going to just double check and make sure that this it is, may, it may yeah, not I don't, be. I don't have to look up this. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't get too surprised if I don't see it in one of the Ojibwe dictionaries that come out of the great, the closer to the great lakes. Cause this could yeah. be one of those, no, one of those really Michif good. words. Um, I mean, one of the, um, because a lot of it is that kind of pronunciation stuff. I know that um, uh, you, know, you have bangs and bullets for Labanani. Uh, Labanani is just la, the, bon is bon, ani, ane, anniversary, year, good year, new year. Mm. Labanani is just is what they'd say for happy new year. 
la bonne année. And it's like you, you, a French person would say, I have never heard this language before. What a beautiful language you have. And then they'd see it written out as it would have been written out the first time it was pronounced back in Turtle Mountain. They'd say, you're not saying it right. This is the same thing for all these names, right? So La Framboy is how we say our family name, but the French wouldn't, if you said La Framboy, they wouldn't necessarily know a French speaker, um, someone from France, for example, wouldn't know that we were talking about the same word as their word for raspberry, right? They'd say that's different. Another great one, La Fountain, right, is, is a real common name. And out here in Seattle, there's folks who go by La Fontaine, that speaks of La Fountain. And a French person would look at it and say, closer to La Fountain, but, you know, La Fontaine, right? And they don't really drop that end the way we release the ends in English. Sure. Um, so you have all these words that, you know, when you look at the name history and you look at the person history, you, you realize the linguistic stuff is based on how people have mixed and how cultures have mixed in the area. Um, that's where a lot of the food cultures come from. Um, and, and then you, you know, you kind of take that to the next generation, which is, well, then what does it look like out in Rocky Boys? What does it look like in, in Little Shell out in Great Falls, right? They're, they're a little further um, evolved, I'm sure they would say, from, uh, you know, kind of like root Ojibwe or Anishinaabe language. Um, although, you know, folks, it's, it's, it's just evolution, right? Over time, it's, and these are, these are not intentional designs, right? They're just things change over time. And so those right. folks blended with other language cultures and other groups. And if you're in Great Falls, you're way closer to, to a bunch of other tribes than you are other Chippewa or Ojibwe folks. So there's no doubt that you start having some blending. I, I don't know of any specific examples for Little Shell or, um, well, Rocky Boys is perfect because Chippewa Cree, right? So half the folks out there have Turtle Mountain or Chippewa background, half the folks have Cree background. You go to some kid out there right now whose parents, whose two two tribes were forced onto one reservation, they're not going to, they're not going to, like that, that some kid out there whose parents come from different stock are going to, you know, not, <laughs> they're not going to say one is the right one or the other, hopefully. No, that's, that's really, really, well, really interesting. I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be able to explain it to my dad very well, but I'll give it a go. I'll say it's probably, it's, it's the mix uh, and, and, but the it's, mixing is the key. It's a whole thing though. I mean, it's a whole, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like a band within a band as much as it's a, let me try to think of what's a good, um, well, I mean, one thing is to is don't don't think of Turtle Mountain band of Chippewa Indians as some kind of, you know, pure ethnic stock who, right. you know, like our, our pedigree, you know, has been unchanged for thousands of years. It's not like the royalty that, you know, intermarries in England where the same three families, you know, rule England, France, Spain in the same period of time. Right. We are an offshoot of the Pembina band. So it's not it's not even like hailing from Turtle Mountain gives you some kind of super high pedigree. Um, I'd be surprised if any other Ojibwe or Chippewa tribe thought that hailing from Turtle Mountain gave you a high pedigree. Um, <laughs> they they may even have alluded to the fact that maybe it, it diminishes our pedigree. To the some opposite, extent. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's their that's they're welcome to misconceive that any way they want. Um, and it's it could be you know it kind of goes e either way, right? Um, where you could say then, well, you know, Rocky Boys is an offshoot, and Little Shell is an offshoot. It's an evolution, um, and and some things are passed on, and some things are not passed on. Um, in those settings. Um, but I think if you're saying, so Michif is 
is, I don't know, like subculture makes it sound subculture, like the, the way the cool kids would say it, like I'm part of this really cool subculture. Yeah. You know, it's like not subculture is in like a, 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 a inferior part of the culture. It's, no, just, I, it's, I gotcha. it's, a, it's a under, it's a, one of the undertones of the reservation of Turtle Mountain of our sure. people. Sure. No, oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. Um, well, do you, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions uh, that are for James Lovell? Sure. Um, and in this in case, I'm able to share it with more people because I think it's fun to get to know people in a, in a way that, you know, would come up conversationally, maybe if we're drinking a beer, or having a cigar or whatever we're doing. Um, so uh, they're, they're going to be random. They're not random. I oh, pre- good. I pre-wrote them, but I did not give them to you. But I think it would tell a lot about who you are in a fun way. <laughs> but I could be wrong. Um, when scrolling through your TV and a movie shows up, you just happen to be clicking through. What's one movie that you always stop for at least a few minutes, no matter how many times you've seen it? There's a bunch. <laughs> um, one that I was thinking of recently was Enemy Mine. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's Randy Quaid, Lou Gossett Jr. Wow. It's a, it's, that was a minute ago. It was a, it was a hot minute, and uh, it's a fun <laughs> one. I especially think of it in that. Um, actually, I think we were, my mom and I were talking about it a while back just because um, without spoiling, you know, the movie's been out, whatever, 40 years now, but yeah. without spoiling too much, there there is um, folks from different backgrounds have to coexist uh, in intense situations. And there's uh, some adoption and absorption of cultures and people into other cultures and people, which, you know, I'm sure when, as, when philosophers look back and see the roots of, of the philosophy that I hope to pass on to this great planet, when they're, when the scribes are writing their essays about me, That's they will, right. they will include enemy mine and think it's some kind of great poetic work, but I don't <laughs> think it won any Oscars. <laughs> I don't think it did either, uh, but I am familiar with the movie, but that's yeah. great. Uh, the fact that it even would show up on the, on the cable uh, scroll through. It I doesn't anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> that's why I was thinking about it is I have to go look for it and find yeah. it on some streaming service. That's good. Uh, next one. What's the last book you read? Uh, like actually read and completed. Or, well, or one like, that you're reading now or, or finished or kind of well, been attacking it. I have an entire bookshelf. I mean, I've got, there's a bookshelf off to the side here and it's got four or five uh, uh, columns. One column is entirely Lord of the Rings and and other copies of Lord. I've got probably 20 copies of Lord of the Rings in the wow. in individual and in clusters. And I've got all the other writing from, from J.R.R. Tolkien. So I love all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff is rooted in, you know, language and, and genealogy. So that stuff, like you can see why I'm someone who enjoys talking totally. about this stuff. It's, it's part of how my, and maybe, and I don't know which came first is a, a does an interest or a desire for that stuff. Or maybe it's just because I grew up in a blended culture where you had to try to pick out which pieces came from where. Um, so that's awesome. The book I most recently finished as far as like sitting down reading front to back is a book called mediocre, which is uh, the uh, dangerous legacy of white male America. It's by an author, Ijeoma Oluo, who's a awesome author. She lives on the line. That book is on one of my list of uh, books to grab. I heard about Get to it, it. Get within to it. the last month, I want to say, and it's on, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, she starts out, the, the intro is awesome. I mean, the whole book is just killer, every step. Um, but the, the first chapter is a really interesting one because she does, she talks about Buffalo Bill Cody um, in great extent. And so she, she centers, you know, she, uh, she herself is, is, um, She's a black woman um, from mixed background, mixed heritage, and uh, but she also she just does an incredible job of always centering 
lots of different narratives and how they interplay. And uh, so she includes the native indigenous narrative around Buffalo Bill Cody and, and his, uh, his uh, what would you call it? Circus act, parade, museum? Sure. Yeah. Act is for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I'll definitely move that up the list for sure. Um, I just had a couple of books land that I forgot that I'd ordered uh, while we were on our little trip. So after when I get home, I'll have to see what they were. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Uh, okay, last one. What's a, what's one of a favorite quote or words to live by that you uh, draw inspiration from? Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, the perfect, but something that you draw from. Um, shoot. Well, obviously, if I'm not remembering it, it can't be all that great of uh, a quote. I'm putting you on the spot. Well, there's, I mean, there's one um, that is by James Baldwin. Um, <laughs> let me pull it up really quickly. One of the great authors. Um, we can disagree. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. So I love it because I, I love I love how um, folks. Oh, well, we can. Yeah, it, it just goes to that whole thing of of. Uh, oh, come on! It's you know, like I see you guys disagree about this topic, but let's move on to a topic where we have closer alignment, closer agreement. And I'm I'm able to do that even on stuff I feel really strongly about. Um, sometimes I'm even ashamed when I'm able to do that. But sometimes I draw I draw on this to rem to remind myself there are topics that people hold a view on, and if and their view denies another person their humanity or right to exist i don't think i'm going to be able to like okay we'll just set this aside and i'll move back it's like i i see this yeah i say that of course in the moment i sometimes let these things slip by and i don't have the courage to always hold it up but i love james baldwin um he, he's he's just one of these incredibly quotable folks um great author. that's that's yeah that's a great quote that's the one i'll pick for today no that's good yeah that's good yeah, James. Great question. Uh, last one, and this kind of wrap us a ribbon about the whole thing. What What do you think? It's kind of a two parter. Yeah. Um, what is the number one issue that American Indians, even if it's specifically the Turtle Mountain Band, um, are facing um, or continue to face? And you know, what can we do to help? I know you're active, involved oh, in your community. Everything from census to making sure that, um, you know, your friends get vaccinated, you know, you, there's been just since I've known you yeah. that you're involved. So what, what, what is the issue and how can, you know, how can we be aware or, or help or something? I'm not um, trying to be, well, that's, yeah, I don't, uh, I mean, the longer discussion would be, let's put a pin in this. <laughs> uh, Cause that's, sure. that's a ton. If I had to pick a single See, it's like when you ask something like that, sometimes it's easy and you, you, you hear of like, you know, there's like, like if you'd asked me four months ago, it, I would have said vaccine access, right? But we've actually gotten past that, right? There's still lots of folks who aren't vaccinated and folks who don't have access, but it's not actually, it's not looking quite as dismal as it might have four or five months ago. Um, so that those are kind of like single point in time. You ask this question and I may have a different answer. Fair enough. A lot of it does come back to, so, so then I'm kind of like, okay, that's a little too micro. If I was going to go a little more macro, um, it would be around sovereignty and honoring the treaties, you know, re recognizing that. So if you look in the constitution, you know, something that's included in the U S constitution is treaties are the law of the land. And they're they're listed in the Constitution as being 
paramount, uh, uh, you know, congruent with the Constitution as far as being the supreme law. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that treaties were written with perfect language. I think many of them were horribly written and need to be revisited and, and you know, kind of looked at with a little bit more of a contemporary view on justice. But there are a lot of things around sovereignty that if you if you start supporting, if you wanted to start supporting American Indian folks, you would allow American Indian folks to write their own laws. Many of us at that point, would we would start taking specific topics in our own hands, I think. One thing we would take into our own hands is I, if I was, I mean, I would, theoretically, we can set our own determinations around what our blood quantum is. Um, and so we can determine who our own citizens are right now. But I think there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up into that. And with with greater appreciation and kind of embracing, embracing of sovereignty, we'd be able to have a better resolution than a purely um, non-scientific, like pseudo-scientific approach to it. We'd be able to approach things if we if we had more control over our land and our reservation and our people, we'd be able to support um, Native sisters, the missing and murdered Indigenous women. We'd be able to revitalize language and things. You know, so I think I think it's it's kind of a it's a bit big. It's kind of like I can, I can think of the micro ones. I can think of the the kind of macro size sure. ones. Sovereignty is a really big one, but I'll have to think a little bit more about that because I haven't. I do kind of get drawn to each one as they kind of pop up. Sadly, things pop up pretty frequently, but, um, and if I was in, and, and the context, right. You know, who's the group I'm talking to, because you, you'd want to bring something to people where they had an actual action, uh, that they could take. And so if it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm talking to a group of six people, what's your biggest issue you want to talk to? Well, what are their, what are their means and what are, what are the things they're interested? Where are they in their journey? Because if you go to someone who's not ready to really dive in full and you bring a, a macro topic or something that's too micro, um, it's going to seem it, it won't actually garner support. So that's part of part of what I try to always do is think of how do I garner support, but it's got to be a negotiation between where someone is and where I want to get them. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, sometimes we get so... I didn't mean to wax eloquent back, but no, uh, let's go for it. The idea of, you know, th there's these big problems, you know, there's big things that need to be tackled. Um, but really what we probably need to do is go at the micro level. And what's one little thing that we can do to advance the general cause, because a lot of people get stuck in the rhetoric and in the weeds about the big macro stuff, because they're trying to solve this thing that's in this particular issue. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, several centuries old. Um, yeah. And is a, um, you know, has really been a problem from the beginning. And, um, and then, of course, now you have time and you have all these things that have happened and you have tradition and you have, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts. But getting out and making sure that you fill out your census ballot, right, yeah. which I think you yeah. got involved in, you know, is really important. How would we yep. know? How many Chippewa people lived in Ellensburg if they didn't fill out the census <laughs> correctly? No, I, yeah. I, I say yeah. that uh, being serious because well, I would you know, you have to intentionally take the time to put that down. And so how, how many others are there, right? Yep. That just kind of blew right past that part yep. of the census. And it's important. I don't think I realized it was as important as it is. And I can see why you were so passionate about it, not just for your, uh, the Chippewa, but just every probably people group and, um, and, you know, segment of society, if you want to call it that. Um, and I, I see the value in it. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, those those are great questions. I uh, would probably have 
uh, scored better on the exam if I'd had a little more prep time on time on a few of them. But I, hopefully, I get the results back, and the Scantron gives me an A. Oh, it's going to be an A plus with extra credit. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate you doing this, um, and yep. I I'm still working on how to deliver it. But I just knew it was important, and I um, I was kind of reminded of it just in my own heart. I guess you know not to be super deep, but. It just was, it just felt important to me. And, and so I wanted to capture it in another way. Um, So, and, and share it with people that I think will also enjoy it. Obviously, you know, you're really well, you know, very well spoken and all that. Um, And there's lots of, um, you know, personal, uh, you know, sort of behind the facts, Mm -hmm. right? You're not a history teacher. You have experience with your own family and your own observations, uh, both professionally and, and again, as a, as a son and grandson and all this other yeah. stuff. You know, one thing to add on is um, a, a bit of the personal experience is, well, oh boy, maybe now I'm, now I'm starting to rethink my answer to your last question. Um, so I'm the, um, my, my bio mom, you know, my mom, um, she's done foster care since before I was born. And so she has always had, and she runs an Indian child welfare, uh, therapeutic native foster home. So everyone in her house are young people. No, not everyone in the house, but you know, the, the kids who have gone through her house over the last 40 some years are young people who were in the child welfare system. So CPS, um, and they're all native. And sometimes we get turtle mountain kids who came through the house, but a lot of times they're from all these other tribes. And that's another way that people lose, connection with their roots and their heritage and their identity. And like a lot of this really comes down to identity development. And um, if you know there's something there and you've never interrogated it, it can be really hard to know if it's something you that's actually important to your identity or not. Um, so I think of, um, I'm thinking of your kids, for example, and you know, they have a relationship with your dad. And there's an identity that's a part of your dad that you may not have understood all that well a couple of springs ago. And you've, you, you've got a thirst and an appetite, and that's really great. And you're only one person. You can't always bring that to everyone. So my answers aren't all right. But, you know, I can imagine if some of these young people who came through the foster care system um, had had access to something where they at least heard about someone who was similar to their dad's dad or their something or someone who could, you know, it would help them. <clears throat> it would help. It could help someone ground themselves a little bit more. It's not to say that it would be. It's not like a silver bullet. Um, folks would still be left with very real challenges of growing up in the child welfare system. But I know a lot of, a lot of those folks were, were removed from the opportunities to build some identity and things like this can be helpful for um, folks in or out of, you know, challenging situations or challenging, uh, you know, like the child welfare system or something to just ground themselves a little bit more. And, um, and sometimes when you're having a really rough time, it's actually helpful to have a few of these, proper nouns that I've thrown in here to just Google and go through that rabbit hole and dig through all the internet things. And eventually you'll find, you know, somewhere between the extremes on the internet, you will find pieces of truth that help you distract for a moment and and feel a little bit more like you're part of something bigger. I, I love it. I've always felt that everybody wants to know where they're from, you know, yeah. there's something hardwired in humans, you know, and I, I've read a few books recently on uh, salmon, you know, the fish, Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of homing, I don't even know if that's the word, homing beacon or honing, whatever. Anyway, they yeah. know where to go uh, to go back up the stream after they've been swimming around for zillions of miles and to, to lay their eggs and do it, you know, do their thing. It's just unbelievable. And I, I think yep. to some level as humans, 
you know, we, we have the same desire is we got to connect to something uh, that sort of identifies us as to sort of where we're from and potentially who we are. How did we get here? Well, maybe not from the cosmos, you know, God, no God, you know, create, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but really, where are my people from? Yeah. Um, and and I think there's a lot that um, brings um, peace uh, into our kind of minds and hearts when we kind of know a little bit more about that. Uh, because that familiarity, I think, brings, um, you know, brings a strength that we can sort of draw from. And I really do think a lot of people who don't pursue this, you know, struggle a little bit about, well, where do I go? Well, you can't, and somebody wise said it, you can't know where to go if you don't know where you came from, right? Mm-hmm. And this is part of it. You know, I might be nine equal parts of something, right? But I'm not mm-hmm. equal, right? But I'm nine mm-hmm. parts of something. Mm-hmm. And this is a very significant part of who I am. And it certainly is culturally from my dad and his dad and and his whole family that he sort of recently discovered, you know, that's still back there is connecting with that. And I think that's going to bring peace to that 79 year old, honestly. Yep. So it's an important thing. I appreciate it, James. Only because I have to, I'm going to have to say goodbye. All right. I'm going to go have dinner. Have a good evening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.